Hi, everyone. Welcome to Merch Money. We're so glad to be back. Two weeks is way, way, way too long. So I know uh, Laura was saying that in the chat, and I'm, I'm just so happy to see all of you guys again. And we got Ben here, Christina. You guys yeah. want to say hi? Hello, everybody. Hey. <laughs> so I am at my parents' house. You can see the background's different. We did a, we tried to do a meetup in New York on Saturday, and it was just crazy that that day was the uh, power outage. Like, <laughs> I was just sitting there in the restaurant by myself. Like, are, is there seriously not going to be anyone that shows up? <laughs> I was like, I've done quite a few meetups. I'm like, this will be the first one that no one shows up. And then finally, I started getting messages from people saying, I'm so sorry. Like, there's no trains running. I can't get there. And then finally, we had four people come. Oh, three people and me. So it was four all together. And so uh, it was it was pretty crazy. I was sitting there for about 40 minutes before anyone came because because I I got there a little bit early, so I missed the blackout and everybody else hit the blackout. So oh my god, <laughs> it was a pretty crazy 40 minutes to be like, what is going on? Like out of 22 people, no one showed up. <laughs> I'm so glad I stayed. I almost didn't, but then uh, finally people started coming and we ended up having such a good time. It was. It was crazy. They like uh, one of the guys lives near there, and so he was able to basically show us all over New York. And I had been there quite a few times, but the places we went, I hadn't been to before, so it was really good time. So, and we ended up having people from all different parts of the Amazon. So it wasn't just merch. We had private label, wholesale, FBA, and merch. So we kind of had one of each person. So between the four of us, we it was really fun. So, all right. Well, Christina, you want to catch everybody up on what you've been doing in the last two weeks? Um, yeah, I was kind of on vacation. So, <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. We, we got yeah. <laughs> so, I spent uh, about a week and a half up at uh, Lake Erie at my lake house up there and had a great time. The weather was wonderful. So, I'm uh, excited that Helen and I will be at uh, Midwest Ecom this week. So, I'm so happy you're coming. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited. So can't wait to meet everyone and, you know, just learn even a little bit more about FBA. I don't really know that much about it. I mean, I was kind of an early dropout. So <laughs> Ben, have you ever done FBA? Amazon? No, but no? I haven't, haven't done FBA, but I've talked to a lot of people who have. And some I was going to say friends. you've interviewed some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for anybody, do both of you recommend going to conferences? I love conferences. I love, 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 love conferences. When when I was first actually starting my podcast, like in the very first year, uh-huh. um, some of the people who were at uh, Traffic and Conversion Summit in 2017, mm-hmm. those were some of the heavy hitters for like – like the initial group of heavy hitters that I brought on my show. And it was, it was because I got to meet them at the conference. And like after they spoke, they would go off to the side and field questions from people. And like I waited until everybody else had asked their question. Then I went up and I was like, Hey, have this show. You're a total rock star. I literally think you're super cool. And it would be so amazing to have you on the show. And some amazing people came on the show, like, like Pat. Matt Flynn came on the show, for example, from there, and um, 
you're just a, See, you're, you're answering the questions I was going to ask. This is, I was like 99% sure that was going to be your answer that you met a lot of these people at conferences. Cause it's amazing. Like the conferences I've gone to, I end up keeping in touch with people, met so many people and then vice versa. The conferences I missed, like I missed the one Christina went to. It was a merch conference. I missed it because it was one of my friend's weddings. And there was a, a difference from that. Like everybody that went knew each other better. And I was kind of like, I missed out on that. So it makes a big difference if you go, like any that you can go to, go to. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So excited. So I love the networking aspect and it's kind of, you know, it's a different world doing online business than it is kind of, you know, from the corporate business world that I came from. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't even realize there would be networking opportunities and things like that in this world, so to speak. So um, I'm used to doing those regularly. So it's kind of nice to incorporate that into the new, the new life here. So I remember yeah. your first one <laughs> Columbus, Ohio last year. That was, yep. That's where I met Helen, everyone. If you, if you haven't uh, been following. So I was just this beginner in online, you know, just trying to do something online and decided to go to the Merch Money Meetup. And now I host with, with Helen. So learned a lot from her and the team and it's a cool story. So yeah, it's amazing. And it's uh, somebody asked me that at, at one of the recent meetups. They're like, why do you do these meetups? Like, what is your uh, motivation or why do you want to do them? And it's just, it makes a huge difference. Like so many of the people that come to the meetups, I've never talked to before in my life. Like they're quiet in the groups. I didn't know they were, I didn't know them. And there is, it's not like they're at tier 25. I mean, some of them are beginner. Beginners are great too. That's how I met Christina, but some of them are like past me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much from all the people that came to these meetups. So uh, it's just, it's just such an, a better way to get to know people. Um, well, anyway, let's, Get into this interview. I um, am so happy that Ben's here. His his story is amazing, so inspiring, and um, I wanted to start the interview with your favorite question to ask everybody. <laughs> so we're gonna throw your own question right back at you. So Ben, what is your story? Do you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> you never clarify for people. You let them do whatever they want to do. So that is what I'm going to do with you. <laughs> I love it. I love being on the other side of that. So <laughs> I'll take my story back to uh, my childhood. Um, I was born in, in Metairie, Louisiana uh, to two people, my, my parents, who I think are the greatest people in the whole wide world. And I am infinitely grateful uh, for everything that they have done and continue to do for me. So I think my story really starts with them because if there's anything or anybody who, you know, who deserves any credit for anything that I may have done, it's them, right? So I just want to start with that. Uh, but, you know, I grew up in a, in a Jewish household and from a, a really young age, I started to learn the value of hard work and the way that came about was when you're 13 for guys or 12 or 13 for girls they could depict um but when you're third when you turn 13 you have your bar mitzvah and so i was raised in a modern orthodox temple 
which means I had a lot to learn for my bar mitzvah. And just to give you kind of like some context on it, when you're reading from the Torah, which is part of the service uh, that that you do for bar mitzvah, it's like trying to read without vowels. And I know that sounds weird. And it is weird trying to do it, and it's it's really hard. So you have to study for a long time. So I literally studied for a year for one day, which was my bar mitzvah. And so going through that process of studying, every week I met with my teacher, and every week we went over stuff, regardless of how much I may or may not have wanted to do it at the time. And at the end of that year, on my bar mitzvah day, when I did it, the lessons that I learned from that have stuck with me throughout my whole life. And I realized that even though something may seem impossible at first, if you just apply sustained effort over an extended period of time, there's nothing that you can accomplish because we severely overestimate what we can get done in a short period of time, but we vastly underestimate what we can accomplish over an extended period of time with that with that sustained consistent effort. So I started to realize that. And that's just kind of something that that has really stuck with me in addition to I've all, I've loved learning and and reading. And I think a lot of it came came from that, right? And I mean to this day I probably read between I try to read at least an hour a day, but sometimes it goes up to like 6 hours a day if I get like really hooked on something. And so through high school, you know, I was always trying to be really active in my school, and that manifested itself in like starting the um, the uh, mock trial team at my school, and being the president of the the math club Muafa Theta, uh, being the captain of the basketball team for 11th and 12th grade, being on the track team, the cross country team, um, participating in like in youth ledge, which was going and. Uh, you know, it's kind of like putting forth a like a bill or a or a or an idea and pretending to be a country and then like going back and forth and uh, proving your case as to why you should get your your bill passed or your resolution passed and um, you know I, I hosted my school and started my school's uh, weekly radio show called Taylor Tube because um, the school is Patrick F Taylor. So we had Taylor Tube every single Friday morning during homeroom. They would show it. And so after that, it was so funny because all the little sixth graders, I'd see them in the hall and I'd be like, oh, you're Ben from Taylor Tube. And I was, I was a senior at that point. And I, was like, I was like, I'm so glad you guys watch that. Thanks so much for watching. So, you know, all these things where that, that took, you know, it took a lot of effort and it took a lot of time, but it was really worth it. And I realized that I could do all these things. And I think still that comes from, you know, the desire to, to, you know, grow and, and to learn um, that I learned when, when I was 13 and mm-hmm. for my bar mitzvah. And I, and I think it's also culturally um, something that I've noticed just a lot of people who are Jewish. We, we a lot of us share that same mindset, you know, mm-hmm. of progress and contribution and, and trying to learn and grow and get better. And so my parents always definitely tried to teach me that. And, and tried to try to install that. So so then comes college, and I went as a, as a pre med major. I was going to be a doctor like my uncle. And after the you know they they told us that in this this 
biology program. They're like, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to get internships. That's how you set yourself apart. And we'd recommend you going and getting an internship junior year or the summer of junior year. So I was like, okay, that's the really important thing that's going to set you apart. So I was like, I'm going to get on this now. So I got two internships the winter break of freshman year. And I will never ever forget this um, <laughs> because I was watching this knee arthroscopy, right? And it's just a basic, very basic exploratory surgery in, in, in your knee. It's like very basic. I've, I've actually had one since then in my knees, no big deal, right? But I'm watching this and the first thing that goes on in the operating room is they just stick this needle in this gal's knee and this goo starts shooting out on the floor and I'm like, ew, that's <laughs> Rose. And so, so they're going about, they're doing this operation. They put a bunch of instruments in the knee, and then at the end, they they finish up, and they're like, "All right, time to break for lunch." And I'm like, "Lunch? I can barely keep down breakfast. Why are we talking about lunch right now?" I'm like, okay. "Clearly, but being a doctor is not for me." So I switched to uh, switch to finance, and I I figured if I'm seeing blood in finance, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> so that really started, um, you know, started, started my business journey. And, you know, parallel to that, you know, I've been an investor since I, since I've been in the ninth grade and it's really just been like a hobby of mine, um, that, that I've kept up throughout the years. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just go and I'll get better at investing and that'll be what I do. And so I made the switch and, in the fall of 2014, um, this, that was my uh, sophomore year, I got two phone calls that would change my life forever. Well, the first was from my roommate. He called me. He was like, Ben, this is this is the phone he was calling. Like, ben, I want you to help me sell T-shirts. I was like, okay, sure. I, I'll help. I love helping with stuff like that. And then I got a second call on this phone and it was, my, it was my dad who's an attorney in new orleans and he's like ben i want you to be my social media intern for the summer and i and in and, and, and that moment it clicked and i was like ah i have an idea so i told them both i'd love to help you all out and i will but don't hire me hire my company I'm like what are you talking about i was like i'm making a company so i started to research and i started to dig around online and i figured out that Starting a company was really not what I thought it was. It was really as easy, like legally starting a company, as going and Googling and, and figuring out how to register a company. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get an LLC because I talked to my dad who's an attorney. Yeah. And so I figured out you could domicile an LLC in the state of Louisiana for $105. And so on December 19th of 2014, I started my very first company at 20 years old called Gothard Enterprises, LLC. And so that was my very first company. And my birthday is October 22nd, 1994. So I just turned 20. I was fired up, just started this company. And then I realized, well, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So I just kind of like managed people's social media for a while. And I was like, okay. And like I, mean, I was managing my dad's and managing uh, my, my roommates. And then eventually by January, I figured out that I could manage because um, I was going to LSU at the time. Louisiana State University. So I took over the the finance department's social media at a, for LSU, and I started to realize, like, okay, th there's a purpose here. Like, they're using it very specifically for very specific reasons. And so 
you know, I'll be infinitely grateful to Dr. Carlos Lawson. Uh, he was the, the head of the finance department who kind of gave me, gave me that, that shot, gave me that opportunity. And so I started doing that and then that, but I was, I was a student worker. So it wasn't technically like through my company, but still it was experience that I used to then, you know, bring that to my company. So it took me until October of 2015. So almost a whole year before I got my first like bona fide paying client. And I got to tell y'all, it was the coolest feeling in the world. It was so cool. Uh, I, I went I went to this gentleman in New Orleans who runs a very high-end interior design company. And I what I said to him was, I will literally post for you on social media two times a week on one platform for $400. That's what I'll do. That's because uh, you, you don't want to have your people spending their precious time doing that. So instead of div- like diverting some of their time to that, I'll do that. You pay me that much money. It's good. And he's like, okay, let's do two platforms for $800. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so he wrote me that check the very first day. And I will be infinitely grateful to, uh, to, to Mr. Randy for, you know, giving me my first big break. And so I had this check for $800. And I was like, Oh my God, I made it. This is amazing. <laughs> and then I did what anybody in my position would do. I immediately drove to my dad's office and I wanted to show him. And so I was like, dad, guess what? So I showed him the check and he's like, he said, um, you know, now, now it's time, time to celebrate. And so, you know, he took out from, from some secret space in his office that I didn't even know existed. He took out like, um, Johnny Walker black or something like that. And so we had two shot glasses. My dad and I clinked and it was just an amazing, amazing time. And I will never forget that to be able to share that moment with my dad was just, it was very special. Very special. And so moving forward, I started to pick up more clients and I started to bring on people to help me as contractors to, you know, kind of to teach them and then kind of sub out some of the work so I could focus on on the company as a whole. And it was really cool. Like I thought it was really cool. As a junior, I was I was making good money. I was making good money. And it was something that I created. And I was like, this is rad. And so I got more and more clients and my the first gentleman to help me out, Danny. He's a rock star. I love that. He's one of my best friends to uh, to date still, and he and I worked so well together. We were just killing it. We were crushing it. And I figured, okay, if this worked out so well with Danny, then the only thing that I need to do is just hire a whole bunch of more people and then go get way more clients, and then it'll all just be good. I'll be a total gazillionaire. And then, you know, whatever. And so in a span of probably like two months, two or three months, I went from working with one person, one contractor to eight. And that was a huge mistake. <laughs> I will be the, I'll be the first one to say that it was totally my fault. Uh, I, I was not the leader that I needed to be in order to, to, to make that work. And so what happened was um, I just started to get really like shiny object syndrome 
uh, I started to have shiny object syndrome. And so instead of sticking with that same offer that had worked and was working, I started to try to diversify my offerings and get into a bunch of different things. And so it was because of a lack of experience and I just didn't realize what that, what I had was working. Right. So I was diversifying and I tried to bring in too many people and I started doing side projects. Right. So roughly the time when I started to get that, that very for a couple of months before I got that first check, um, I started to learn about passive income of being able to make money while you sleep and that I, d- I could not get that out of my mind. And so, you know, I mentioned I was Jewish. Maybe this is irony. I, I struggle with the definition of that, but I was, I was watching this YouTube video of a preacher and he was talking about passive income. And one of the ways he said that you can make passive income was by writing an ebook and publishing that on Amazon. So you can publish it, you can get paid, even if you're, you know, you're going out and you're, playing basketball but you can still get paid and i was like i love basketball and i love getting paid this sounds amazing <laughs> so i just started to put together a little ebook and i was like okay well what do i possibly have to write about and i was like well what i am doing is i'm trying to chase my dreams that's what i'm doing so i decided to start writing about that and so of course that turned into like a huge passion project and like something i devoted a year to but after that year on July 3rd of 2016, I actually published my first book, CEO at 20, a little book for big dreams. And so that happened in, in July. And five days later, I had messaged every single person that I had ever met in my entire life. And I was like, hey, friends, family, acquaintances, people I may have met half of a time like three <laughs> years ago, just published this book. I would so – greatly appreciate if you could support me this is my first book i would love to hear what you think you know it would mean a lot and so that was a very short list of people because i hadn't hadn't met that many people in my life um, so i decided okay i need to build a marketplace for my books and i'm pretty sure i'm talking to entrepreneurs so i need to build like a group of entrepreneurs and then I need to listen to their problems and I'll write more books to solve them, solve those problems. That was my thinking. And so on that fifth day, I started Project Egg. And what most people don't know because I kind of intentionally leave it vague is that Egg is an acronym that stands for Entrepreneurs Gathering for Growth. And it started off as a Facebook group. And so I did what any 21 year old trying to reach out to people to what anybody does in that situation. And I started sliding into people's DMS on Facebook and I said, Hey, cool person who I have never met before. I noticed you're an entrepreneur, a fellow entrepreneur. And I want to know if you want to be a part of this group I'm putting together and we're going to brainstorm, we're going to solve problems. We're going to be awesome. And it's called Project Egg. And people started saying yes. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I didn't I didn't think this was going to work, but this is really cool. And so I didn't see any reason why it wouldn't work, but I didn't know that it was going to work. So people started saying yes. So it started to build a group, build a group, and then a couple hundred people got in the group. And I was like, oh, well, this is cool. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with this group, but it's really cool. And so then it dawned on me, I actually don't know 
what I'm talking about very much. Like I was going to listen to their problems and solve it, like solve their problems by writing. But at this point, I really could only put forth research, like like aggregated bits of research with my own you know, information on. And I, and I just kind of done that with my book. So I was like, well, I, I kind of know what that feels like. And I'm not really sure, but, but the people who are coming in the group, I was like, these people are way, way more successful than I am, uh, financially speaking at this point. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just ask them, I'll ask them how to do it. And so that's how the podcast came about. And so on July 27th of 2016, um, 24 days after the book launched and 19 days after the group started, I published my very first interview. And that was with a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Cologne, one of my dear friends to this day. Shout out to you, buddy. Thank you. And he had an amazing story of donating a kidney to his father to save his dad's life. And because of that event, he got inspired to become an entrepreneur to impact other people. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's an amazing story. And I love stories. I'm such a story person. And so – as you can see, I'm going on and on with the story. And so I was hooked and I started asking everybody, can I interview you? And specifically the language is, hey, Helen, would you be interested in getting interviewed? And so that one question has opened up doors for me that I didn't even realize were there. Right. And so the only thing I did on the interviews, because what do I know about interviewing? I have no idea. But all I ask people is. What is your story? That's the only question that, that I asked them. And that one question, even more so than um, would you be interested in getting interviewed, that one question, what is your story, has profoundly changed my life forever and, and in ways that I could not even begin to articulate. I'm trying, but I but I couldn't possibly articulate it. So all this is going on, right? So I'm publishing books um, you know, I got on a, I went on like a, like a book publishing spree because the things I was learning really started to fire the, you know, the, the brain muscles. And so I was like, wait, I can do both. I can interview people and I can still publish books. So I was publishing books like crazy, just doing a ton of writing and research. I was interviewing people. I was running my company. Um, by this time I had also started working with a friend of mine in new Orleans to launch a music festival. And so what we decided was that people started finals on a certain day, like final exams, and they really start studying for them about two weeks bef beforehand. Like so, those two weeks, not much activity. But the day before the two weeks started, like the Friday before, that was the day where everybody went hard. Everybody partied and let loose, and so we wanted to put our music festival then, and we did, and we called it Finals Fest. And what we did was we recruited a bunch of local musicians in New Orleans. We got – we recruited a bunch of local artists – oh, the musicians to come play, the artists to come show their wares. We recruited local nerds, and I say that lovingly because I'm a nerd, to bring out like a video game system so people could play video games at the – at the uh, festival and then we recruited our moms to come and help us with the food and so because of all those various groups of people who i'm infinitely grateful to all of them especially the moms especially my mom um we pulled it off 
and we had like a 12-hour festival, and it was awesome, and so many people showed up, and we had t-shirts and a bunch of like guitar picks and just really cool stuff that we made, and we didn't – like we broke even on it because it was a free festival, but we sold t-shirts and food. So awesome. So we did that three years in a row. But anyway, so all this is going on, and what I didn't re- realize, but now you know, looking back, it's like, oh yeah, duh. But I was building my network with the show, and so I started to partner with some of the people who I had on the show in various ventures. So one of the the ones that really stuck was an e-commerce business. So I had my uh, agency, and I was publishing books. And this time I'd probably published about 13 or 14 books. Uh, I had my show where I was doing interviews. I had my e-commerce store. I was, I launched this music festival. Um, there was a period of time in there where I, where I was part of an algorithmic trading startup, like a, like a, co- I was coding. So I was learning how to do that. And on top of that, there was school. And I maintained a, a decent GPA. I mean, I started with a, with a 4.0, and then by the time I graduated, it, it got down to like a 3.5 or 3.6, something like that. Um, but that whole time, I was doing all those things, and then every once in a while, I decided I was going to sleep. There, <laughs> you know, sometimes. So it had gotten to the point where I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I literally this is there's just so many things I can't keep it all straight," and so. I decided I was going to cut out most of those things and focus, focus, focus. And so I did four and a half years of college because I I switched from um, pre-med to finance. So I was there four and a half years. So in that final half a year, um, I really started to wane you know, or, or to uh, to wean off of, of some of those other things. So I started to um, slowly close down the agency. I started to slowly stop publishing new books, and I closed my e-com store, and I was just focusing on the podcast because I figured this brings me the most joy, and I need to finish school, regroup, figure out what I'm going to do. So that's when I started to really focus on, on the show but then I had uh, knee surgery – or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, shoulder surgery. And so I couldn't really like do a show with a messed up shoulder. So then I had to just pause everything for like for a period of a couple months. And honestly, I couldn't even tell you what I did in those couple months. It's, it's just a, a blur. I was just focused on, on trying to get better. I graduated from school. And so after that happened, I restarted another agency with, the, with another um, – guest of the show and then we did the agency for a little while got a couple clients and then we realized it really wasn't what we wanted to do and so then i was like okay again i need to refocus on um on the show and so last so this is this now brings us to last year and i made a commitment in the latter part of last year like you know later fall later fall that I was going to go all in on the show and that's what I was going to do. And so I put that out in the world. I started to build a team for the show. Um, I invest all the money that I'd made from all my previous ventures. I was, whoops, sorry about that. I was uh, investing more, you know, all, all of it into my show, building the team. And 
so then I started to pick up some momentum and get more and more amazing guests. And that led me to interviewing Grant Cardone in his studios in Miami. Um, led me to interviewing New York Times bestselling authors to Emmy award winners and to, you know, TEDx speakers, people who have spoken multiple times at TEDx events, uh, people who are on Forbes list, like Forbes top 50 social media power influencers, top 30 under 30 entrepreneurs, just incredible, incredible people. And what I realized was because I'd always kind of been looking for like, what's my thing? You know, I thought maybe it was marketing. Maybe it was, uh, you know, doing this or doing that. Maybe it was investing. And what I realized was that I'm, I'm a student of people. I love people and I want to work with people. And so that has been really a, a revelation for me you know, in the past year or so that my, you know, my, my trade, my skill, my craft is working with people. And so when that kind of clicked, I was like, okay, well, I'm working with people. Okay. Well, how, how do you make money work just working with people? And so I realized that based on the, the network that I've been building, a lot of the people needed to meet each other. And so I recognized the value that I could bring to the table as a connector. You connect people and, and put together deals. And so at this point in my life, um, you know, I, I kind of see myself as a, as a connector, as a podcaster, and, and really somebody who works to create wealth by working with people and, and putting together deals and structuring partnerships and uh, con connecting and introducing people that need to know each other. So that's really how like the professional side has evolved. And, and personally, you know, I still I still do write. Um, you know, I've actually just uh, just published on on my website, and I'm actually going to turn it into a book. Um, I just published my first volume of poetry. Um, I just you know just decided I just wanted to start writing poetry, um, so I just published that. And uh, on the, on the side of that, I also realized I really need to get more in touch with who I am at my core. And so I, I figured that the way that I wanted to do that was by articulating my thoughts via the written word. And so I started to document my philosophy on various topics. And so, um, you know, I have it. I don't know why I decided to do this, but I just got like this, this scroll, like this, you know, the rolly papers. Yeah. You can just, it's like an endless amount of paper. Right? <laughs> got one of those out one day and I just started writing. And so thus far I've documented two of my philosophies. Um, and so I really think that that's helped me like organize my thoughts and get my thinking down and really hone in on what I believe and articulate what I believe and what I think and how I think and why I think that way. And that's been profoundly helpful. So to answer your question, um, I'm a Jewish kid who loves his parents, is eternally grateful for his family, um, loves people, loves working with people, is fascinated by life and, and infinitely curious. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I just really want to say grateful, grateful to my parents. Oh, 
Oh, what a story. I feel like we need to do a round of applause. I know. <laughs> so, has anybody ever asked you that question? What is your story? One person. One person. So I'm number two. I paid attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I uh, knew bits and pieces of it, but just to put it all together, that was amazing. Um, I love that you asked people that. And I love the responses because it really is so open-ended that people can answer any way they want to. And people end up saying all kinds of stuff. So we'll see. I may implement that in some way. <laughs> it's a magical question. Yeah, you'll be like, I told her that. <laughs> so, well, anyway, I, I love that story. I love um, that you want to learn and then you really listen and learn. Like, I also love to learn, and I also listen, but I think sometimes I have certain preconceived ideas, or I have certain ways I do things, or over time I've learned certain things, and so sometimes I hear what people say, and then I don't really take it in, or I don't really implement it. I only maybe put it in my brain somewhere, but don't really take action, and I feel like with you, when you listen to your guests on your show, it's like you can, I can almost see you growing on the show. I'm like, oh my God, how did he just like <laughs> learn everything that person just said? So uh, tell us about that. Like, how, Do you feel like you're an open person who learns easily? Oh, totally. Totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always had you know, the, the ability to really pick up on things very quickly. And I think partially it's because of, you know, there's, there's a lot of witty banter that goes on amongst my family. So if you're not sharp, you'll kind of get left behind. So, um, like I, I always, I always want to know what's going on and be very aware of my surroundings. Um, but I, I, I learned something from, you know, a couple different people and, and from reading a few things that said, the, the way that you can learn things most effectively is to learn as if you're going to teach, to teach it. So, you know, what I always try to do is like I try to listen to what somebody says, and if I get it, I get it. If I don't get it or I kind of get it, then I'll try to actually restate it back to them and be like, so what I think you're saying is – and then I'll try to restate it back to them, and if I get it right, then I know I get it. But if I didn't get it right, then they'll correct me and then I can like I'll have a second chance to kind of correct that in my mind. And then immediately after an interview ends, um, I hit I hit the notepad and I write down notes on the person and I write down some of the key pieces of the interview. And that kind of accomplishes two things. Um, one of them is it gives my team um, like content to put in the description on the, on the show notes and on the blog. And also that really like cements some of the things that I'm learning. Um, there's also this gentleman who was on the show. Um, he was an Emmy award winner, Chris. And he told me one of the keys to his success was to teach while you learn. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of trying to come from a place of being an expert, which I really don't think I'm an expert on, on anything. I mean, I'm trying to be an expert on myself and, but, but I really don't think I'm an expert on anything. Um, but I do know that I'm a really good student. And so like, I always try to teach what I'm learning while I'm learning it so that there is no expectation of, oh, I'm an expert. There is no expectation of, I have everything figured out. 
but there is a sense of we're in this together. We're learning together. And this is what I have learned. And, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned. And by doing that, you learn it even better. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I love that. See, I, I knew that I knew you had some secrets in there. I'm like, how is he doing this? <laughs> um, okay. So, so you learn really well. Um, so when I was learning how to do all this too, like it's similar things where you're like, like to start the show, I didn't, I mean, I was okay with merch, but I was only up to two K tier. Like I, I didn't at all feel like I was an expert in any way. Like I was just like, felt like a beginner. And I also didn't know anyone in the community. So I had a similar thing where I was like, well, let me just see what happens if I ask people if they want to do a show with me. And I was like, what in the world? They all said yes. Like I just really quickly messaged quite a few people before I like lost my nerve. And I was thinking like, okay, maybe one person will even reply. And everything, I just started getting yes, yes, yes. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, I meant for one person to reply, not seven. It was seven. And we ended up getting it down to five when we first started the show. But but anyway, so so I understand that concept of, like, you know, just ask, and you never know what the person will say yes. Um, but I think I take it only to a certain level. Like, I only reach out to people a little bit better than me or a little, you know, or several levels better, but not, like, I don't know. I stop. At some point, I stop. But with you, it's, like, it feels like there is no limit. Like, you'll reach out to anyone. And do you just reach out to them out of the blue where they don't know who you are? Or do you wait until you go to a conference or both? So that very first conference, that was kind of like a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love conferences. I just don't go to them very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I travel, I typically like to go into nature and like go like hiking or exploring or go visit family or something like that. Um, but So like when it comes to reaching out to people – what what I realized very early on is that there's nothing distinguishable between you and I and somebody like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. There's not. They're people. They're people just like you and me. They may have some genius, but that doesn't mean that they have any more worth as human beings or any more value as human beings just at a fundamental level. So what's stopping me from reaching out to them? Nothing. My own – I create that context in my head of, oh, they're they're so big. I can't reach out to them. And honestly, who cares? Like either they're going to they're gonna ignore you, which happens a lot, or they're going to answer you and say yes, or they're going to answer you and say no, and no actually just means not yet, right? Yeah. So like – Two out of the three answers is good because if they say no, then they recognize that you're that you exist. So that means they're kind of somewhat obligated to answer you the next time you reach out, you know, if you do it politely. So it's like two out of the three aren't in. And if they don't answer you, then that's the perfect opportunity for a killer follow up. Right. So actually three out of three are all good things. Right. So when it comes to reaching out to people. I always go straight for the DM. I mean, I ruthlessly slide into people's DMs, like hard and true, seriously. Like there's nobody whose DM I will not slide into, or at least right. Like I'll say this: I've emailed Jessica Alba twice on two separate occasions. Like you know, reach reaching out two times. I've been shot down. Is that going to stop me? No. Am I eventually going to have her on my show? I really hope so because that would be really, really cool, right? But like, Got a lot of years still to try. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, like it can just, I can just keep trying, keep trying. You know, I was just, I was just watching this film the other day called Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how true the story is. I'd like to believe it is true, but it was about how Walt Disney was trying to acquire the rights to Mary Poppins to that story. And so the story goes, at least per the movie, every year, for like 18 or 19 or 20 years, every year he reached out to to this gal. And every year she told him no. And then on like the 20th year or whatever the year was, then she said yes. And then he got the rights and he you know he got what he wanted because he was persistent. And like right. he continued with that, right? So it goes back to a sustained effort, a sustained consistent effort over a long extended period of time. Like if you yeah. just – if you're playing the long game – you can't lose, right? Yeah. The same with the same with investing. If you play the long game, you let your money compound over time, over mm-hmm. and over and over again. There's no way that you can lose, right? So, plus, like, what's the worst that can happen if you slide into somebody's DMs? Like, what is <laughs> like? You're not gonna, you're not gonna die. They're not gonna come after you. And by the way, if they do, like, like that means they're giving you attention. So you can find a way to spin that, and it'll be, it'll be awesome. Like. I promise you guys and gals, there is nothing bad that can happen from reaching out to somebody respectfully. Yeah. Respectfully is the key, right? So I just continuously slide into people's DMs. For example, Grant Cardone, that mm-hmm. took 13 months to book. Wow. That's okay. less time than it took him to get his wife, right? <laughs> I'm <pretty laughs> yeah. sure it was longer than that he was after his wife. <laughs> Probably, yeah. But it took 13 months. The first time I emailed him, he's like, He's like, because I, I found – oh, I'm also a good researcher, so I will search endlessly to find their contact information or to find their social media profiles. So I hunted, and I found his email address, and I emailed him, and I was like, hey, Grant, and I have this nice little template that I built out to send to people through email, right? Mm-hmm. And so he answered me, and he's like, thanks for the opportunity to work with you, which is very smooth. That is so Very nice. smooth. Uh-huh. Uh, reached back out in 12 months. I was like, oh. So I was like, no, I don't want to have to wait that long because like I'm I'm like aggressively patient or I yeah. try to be. So I'm like, Ugh. but I was like, fine, I'll just be patient. That's so, so smart that you said that. Well, good for him for like being polite, but also like setting boundaries. Because if someone waits 12 months, I'm sure like he'll be like, okay, fine. They waited. I'll do it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so immediately I put a notification in my calendar and I put like three of them. So it would all like, you know, like. Reach out to Grant, reach out to Grant. And I was waiting. Oh, was I waiting? I was just like, I wasn't thinking about it all the time, but it would come into my mind a lot. And I was like, ooh, six more months. Ooh, three more months. It's the day. It's the day. So then I reached back out to him and I, and I, I replied to his message where he said to wait 12 months. And I was like, Hey, Grant, I've been waiting for this all year. Who do I need to talk to to get to make this happen? And so he shared the the contact information of the of the appropriate person. And so then I had to follow up with her for like another four or five months. And there were times when I thought that wasn't going to happen. And I was like, oh, no. And after all that, you're still only 24 right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> all these years, it feels so long. And then you're like, wait, I'm only 24. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but it's like. But but then it happened, right? And then I get to fly down to Miami, go into his studios, shake the man's hand, and have a lot of fun. Like it was so worth it, you know. So yeah. I think I think the answer to your question is, it's a long term approach where I know that 
nobody's going to ignore me for the next 30 years. And I'm okay yeah. with that if they ignore me for the next 29. But as long as they say yes on that 30th, I'm good. <laughs> and I like how you said aggressively patient. Cause I think, cause I think I have that down pat where I'm like, Oh, long-term approach. But it's like, no, no, no. Long-term approach. If you've already contacted them, like you already put out the effort. And then sometimes it takes a while after that. It's not waiting a year to put out the effort. <laughs> right. You got to be aggressive and then, you know, it might take a little while. So, cause I think I tend to be more gradual, like, okay, we got this person. Now let me try to reach a little bit more. And instead of just being like, nope, Grant Cardone right now. <laughs> so that, that's what I learned from you where I'm like, oh, okay. Like I need to just reach out to them right now. And, um, and also I learned about how you just like immediately like pick up everything when people tell you, I'm like, man, I am not that much of a sponge. Like, I am a little bit, but like you're a sponge where you're like, oh my God, all of a sudden you have all of Grant Cardone's knowledge in your head, like immediately. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I learned that from you being a sponge for the right people. You surround yourself with the right people to want to be a sponge. From. Like, you sort of- I try. I try. Now I will say like one of the things that I try to do with my show is it is a pitch free zone, like no pitch zone at all. Yeah. I don't like that at all. I've I've literally had to stop an interview and delete all of the live streams from all my platforms because I was like, wow. this is ridiculous, right? But see, I'm not thinking what how much traffic am I going to get this month. I'm mm-hmm. thinking ten thousand years from now, when somebody, you know, hopefully there's still an internet, hopefully mm-hmm. there's still human beings, hopefully they're still able to listen to content, whatever. Assuming those things are true. I want this content to be able to impact people and help people just as much then as now. So when there's an offer, first of all, it changes the dynamic of the show. Instead Uh of teaching what you know, sharing your philosophies, talking about life, your perspectives, how you think about things, it's let me tee myself up to make this uh, pitch mm-hmm. at the end so it changes mm-hmm. the name the dynamic of the show and makes it like takes it from this quality to like mm-hmm. way down there which is super <laughs> i don't, I, don't I, I feel like maybe <laughs> you have a point but i think uh be open to it just think about it because i think somebody like grant cardone he allows people to do to do uh share their what they're offering and stuff is offering people stuff is not necessarily a horrible thing oh Um, right right no no, no. and and i'm totally cool with with making offers uh it's just like with with my show like i want it in the description like i want that part in the description and i don't want it to be a pitch fest like and i know i kind of came on strong with that but it's like i want to focus to be on providing value and Uh talking about like really going deep into what you know, who you are, your philosophy, your perspectives yeah. in life. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. All right. Christina, you want do you want to ask anything or say anything before I just keep Well, you are you're kind of on a roll, but yeah, I do <laughs> I do have a question. Um so with Grant Cardone, um obviously you followed him before you interviewed him, but what what was the biggest thing that you learn from him during the interview specifically well then this is a little bit uh, okay the the interview was it was awesome right the whole way through through and through at the end 
I asked him a question that fundamentally changed changed my life, right? Um, I asked him what – and I, I try to ask this to, to most of my guests. But I said, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? I love that question. I love how you use your hands too. That's something that people have taught me about too. I don't know if you do it naturally or somebody taught you that, but <laughs> anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, actually, I, I, I think one of my mentors taught me that. And yeah. I can, I can tell you about it right after, right after this story. Yeah. Um, but I asked him that question and he said, uh, and I don't want to use profanity if it's not. A oh yeah, it's okay. Okay. He said, you should be asking me how you're fucking up. And he said, you're fucking up because your biggest passion, your biggest project is this podcast right here. He's mm-hmm. like, you're not going to be the best podcaster in the world. You're not going to be the next Rush Limbaugh. You're not going to, you're not going to make any money. And even if you do become the best podcaster with the very best show in the whole wide world, you're still not going to make any money. So you should focus on your other businesses and you should focus on those things until you're making a million dollars a day and then talk to me about starting a podcast. And I was like, I asked for it. (laughs) Wow. That's what I asked for. So he totally ripped me a new one at the end of the show. It's actually pretty, it's pretty awesome because it comes way out of left field. You don't really expect it. And Uh it's just like, that's how the show ends. The last two minutes is gold. And so I was just like, wow, I'm definitely not thinking big enough. Like uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not thinking big enough because what, what I believe is, and maybe this is just a way to protect my own ego, but, um, the, the gentleman who was operating the camera and doing all the tech stuff behind the mm-hmm. scenes, he told me before the show, he's like, Grant really challenges people that he sees potential in. And so hopefully that's what happened. But I, I really think he was challenging. I really think he was challenging me to step up and to do, to do more, to do, to do better, to be greater. And so that's when, that's when I, it really clicked for me that like, no, I'm not, I'm not a podcaster. I'm a student of life. Like I'm studying people and I need to figure out a way to create and multiply my impact through my podcast Mm -hmm. so that's when all that that's when all that stuff clicked um but yeah i kind of i kind of lost the uh the the flow of the question oh that's fine you're you're fine i was gonna say um uh and people have done that question to grant too so i think like the higher up you go like everybody kind of challenges each other because he was on lewis house show and Lewis Howes did the same thing because Grant Cardone's always talking about 10x and he needs 10x this, you need 10x that. And Lewis Howes is like, so you need to 10x yourself. <laughs> like, just like how I asked your question right to you, Lewis mm-hmm. Howes did that to Grant. And Grant's like, oh, well, I'm already at whatever. He was at 900,000 or so. I don't know, whatever he was at. He's like, I can't 10x that because I'm like 9 million or 9 billion or whatever it was. And Lewis Howes is like, literally, that's your whole thing is 10x. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't let Grant Hook off Grant Cardone off the hook. And so like they argued back and forth for like a good five minutes. I'm serious. Like Grant Cardone was defending himself, like how he didn't need the 10X. <laughs> and then Lewis Howes was just not backing down. He's like, um, yeah, you do. <laughs> After that show, Grant talked about it for quite a while, like on his little daily thing. He's like, oh, like Lewis Howes won't let me like not 10x this. 
<laughs> and he ended up doing it. He ended up being able to 10X it after that interview with Lewis. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So everybody, it's hard. Like you, when you're saying what you believe, sometimes it's very hard to do it yourself. So you need to have those people around to kind of like call you out on it and be like, are you living what you're preaching? Because just because you think nine million is a lot, like you said to 10X. So you got a 10X. Um, exactly. And, and what I think is important too is that you have to have the right people who uh-huh. are giving you this feedback. Yeah. Right. Because let's say I was asking that same question to, you know, one of my friends that I went to high school with. Uh-huh. If they said that, I would I would have been like, OK, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But, but because it was Grant Cardone, who I have uh-huh. tremendous respect for, uh-huh. tremendous respect in every sense of the word, it really struck a chord with me. Right. Yeah. And so what I think that goes like the deeper thing is. Not only surrounding yourself with the right people, but finding mentors yes. oh. and trust. I'm so glad you and, said that. Yeah, so I was going to say that's one of the things I really admire about you is how many people you've reached out to be mentors. So, yeah, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll talk about that because that has been so important. Mm-hmm. So, so important, right? What I realized was the great people, the truly great people – of the world, you know, like the, uh, the, I'm trying, I'm trying to, Plato and Socrates. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, um, my mind's coming to a blank, but, but people have mentors that they look up to in order to, you know, to, to get to where they need to go. And the reason that that's so important, so important and so powerful is because when you have direct access to somebody, you can understand so many things in, in such a different way. Like, for example, excuse me, I was chatting with the CEO of Sandler Training and uh, a gentleman by the name of Dave Matson, And he was talking about his relationship with Mr. Sandler, who founded the company. And he said Mr. Sandler took him under his wing and he he at first just told Dave what to do. And then he let Dave figure out what to do on his own, and they talked about it. And Dave said that was so helpful because not only did he get to figure out what the right path forward was, but he got to ask why. Like, why did you choose that? Why is this better than that? Why make this decision versus that one? And so when you have somebody who you trust who's been there, who has walked the walk, that can tell you those things and teach you that – you can you can let their philosophy flow through you and you can then learn from them and you can take their work to the next level and you can learn from them and you can synthesize from different mentors and piece it together in your own unique style, right? For example, one of my mentors who's a dear, dear friend to me um, is a gentleman by the name of Ben Gay III. Now, he is the last living protege of Dr. Napoleon Hill who wrote Think and Grow Rich, which has sold hundreds of millions of copies as of 2015. And Dr. Napoleon Hill was the disciple, if you will, of the great Andrew Carnegie. And Carnegie sold his company to J.P. Morgan and Associates, John Pierpont Morgan and Associates, for $492 million in the early – like. The, the first 10 years of the 1900s, right? That was one of the biggest deals in industrial history. Yeah. 
It was crazy. It's worth like $14 billion, but one of the biggest back then, and they had a total monopoly. Anyways, anyways, that that information and that knowledge and wisdom was passed down from Carnegie to Hill and Hill to my mentor, Bengay Third. And so I've just tried to soak up all of that knowledge and all of that information. And not only that, but he's an amazing guy and he's hilarious and he has the best stories ever. But it's like I can go to him and I can say – Ben and we're both Ben, so it's like this fun little. I know what you're saying. Sounds so similar. I'm like, is this a relative you're talking about? No, okay, Napoleon Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so and so, you know, Ben and I, we go back and forth, and his wisdom and his advice is so tremendously valuable to me for so many reasons, and and I'm so very grateful for you know that he would choose to share time with me, but because of that relationship, I've learned so much from him. Right. So, so, you know, he's my men, he's, he's one of my mentors. Another one of my mentors is, is a gentleman by the name of Michael Julian. And he, the reason I asked him to be my mentor is because he not only has an extraordinary track record of running multiple businesses in like the private investigation and securities business, um, but also, He's, he's been the president of a bunch of different nonprofits and he's huge into philanthropy and you know he helps different organizations for kids. But he's done so much already. But his latest uh, project and passion is a program where he's trying to eradicate active shooter events. And the way he's trying to do that is by teaching people, you and I, how to act, how to behave during an active shooter event. Right. And it's called alive. And so he's changing the way that's done. And he was so passionate about what he was doing. And he's such an expert and he teaches this and he has saved people's lives. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I thought I was passionate about what I was doing. Like teach me, please. Like please, please teach me. Right. So I just, I just like ruthlessly hunt mentors who can teach me something very specific. And here's the key, right? Here's how you get people to be your mentor. Now, with a podcast, it's easy because you get that one-to-one interaction. So find out, figure out a way to talk to them, one-to-one. Ask them what is your story. I don't care if you're on a podcast. I don't care if you're on a job interview. I don't care if you're talking to a potential mentor, a potential customer, like your parents. I don't care who it is. I promise you that question can fundamentally change your life and will improve the relationship between you and the person that you asked that of. Okay, so ask somebody, what's your story? Listen, figure out if not only are they qualified to teach the thing that you want to learn or if they can teach you anything, but if they're the kind of person you want to learn from, if their values match with yours, and you'll know if you really listen. And then once you've listened, maybe ask a few follow-up questions, then ask them this question. Hey, Helen, would you be my mentor? And... Almost every single time I've asked that question, the answer has been yes. And then they're like, what does that look like to you? And what I would recommend is saying, whatever your schedule permits, maybe once a week, every two weeks, once a month, we get on a call and we talk about what's going on. And I ask you for your opinion on what I'm doing. And then you do it, right? And you follow up with them and you put it in your calendar. And when you say you're going to do something, you do it. And you build that relationship with them. And what I found is, the people who I followed up with have been some of my dearest friends, some of my most trusted mentors. They've imparted so much wisdom in me that like 
I am so grateful and I just love them so much as people. I'm so thankful, right? And so for a very select few, you then take it to the next step, right? And this is when it gets like like when, when legacy is is brought into the question. Because when you think about people who are doing something truly revolutionary and truly like changing the face of the world, like somebody like a Ben Franklin who's going to profoundly impact the way the world works forever, right, in ways that we don't even understand fully yet, people like that, in my opinion, they are worried about whether or not their legacy will go on because they know the importance of what they're doing. So they want to make sure that that the work they're doing is continued. And so what I – and only if I really mean it, but what I say to a very select few of my mentors, and I've only said this to a very, very, very few, like I can count on one hand how many. I wasn't saying five. I was just showing you this in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know. But but I can Most people would think five mentors is a lot, first of all. But you have, like, I don't even want to guess. I would say, like, probably, like, at least 100. I have a lot of mentors. But yeah. but, but I, I really want to get to this one point, and, and then, I'll, then I'll stop talking. But what I say to, to the very select few is, Helen, I want to say something to you. And I want you to know that this comes from the bottom of my heart and that I mean it with every fiber of my being. I deeply appreciate what you've done for me thus far, what you've taught me. But I want to take it a step further. And I want to learn the things that you have to teach. I want to learn. And I will make you this promise. And and by the way, only say this if you really mean it. But I will be the very best student that you have ever had in your entire life. And I promise you that 30, 40, 50 years down the road, when people learn about the things that I'm doing, I will make you proud to have spent time teaching me. And I will honor your legacy and your name for the rest of of your life and the rest of mine. And that and, – and that's a big commitment. That's a very big commitment. But that solidifies a bond that it's very hard to break. And that sets you up and puts you in a position to where you have somebody who's really on your team, who cares what happens to you, and who wants you to be successful and will help you and, and will give you the resources and tools that you need to be successful. Wow. Speechless. That's amazing. I know. Like, I'm just like, yeah. I mean, who could, who could say no to that? My gosh. You know, (laughs) if you were made that offer, I can't even imagine, you know, that's, that's got to make someone feel amazing. So there's only a few people because I study a lot of history and current people and um, similar to you, except just not soaking it in quite as well as you are. (laughs) But anyway, um, uh, I don't know how you feel about Ty Lopez. He has, you know, whatever kinds of opinions. But he does that. Like, he did that with those mentors. Like, he did that exact, like, literally almost word for word what you said. He did that with some of his mentors. And they're close to this day. Yeah. So, I don't know. Is there any questions in the chat? I have totally uh, not been paying attention, unfortunately. (laughs) Sorry, chat. (laughs) Anything else you want to say, Christina, or anything else in the chat? Guys, what do you think about this 
interview. What do you think about Ben? I am just like, I, I'm so excited for this interview because I'll be like, I knew Ben back when he was 24. Now he's taking over the world. The new Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I know. I, I think that's what I'm so excited to see. I mean, Ben, you're, you're, you know, I'm sure people tell you this all the time. You're so young and you've got your whole life ahead of you, but my gosh, in like four years, you've lived like, almost like some people's entire lives in that short amount of time. So I would say like you've already passed what most people do in an entire lifetime. Yeah. So, and people are saying Ben 2020 and <laughs> sorry guys, he's too young. You got to wait uh, 11 years <laughs> for you to run for president. <laughs> so start, start thinking about it now, 11 years from now, we want you, you to be president. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know about all that, but uh, I appreciate all the love and, and I love you guys too. And, you know, I'm just so, so grateful that y'all choose to share some of your time with me and have a chat. Awesome. Well, one last question. I'm going to copy one of your questions you always ask, which is what did we forget to ask you? What did we not think to ask you on this interview? What else would you like to tell us? It's different being on the other side. Right? I know you're. <laughs> Well, I, I think what I would like to impart my, my, you know, final, final words of, uh, hopefully encouragement and support is that whatever you have in your mind as something that is like this far off dream that it would be so amazing, but it couldn't happen to you. It could happen to somebody else, but it couldn't happen to you, right? I would just really recommend, encourage you to challenge that notion that it couldn't be you, right? And, and it may just be as simple as asking yourself, why not? Why couldn't it be me? Why couldn't I do that, right? And then you start to think, well, wait a second. Why, why can't I do that? Why couldn't I do that? Why can't I take certain certain actions or do certain things to get to different places? Why why can't I? And if you keep asking yourself that question, it'll eventually start to turn into how can I do these things? And at that point there's a fundamental shift. It's not it's not so much a matter of I can't, I just, I can't do this, right? Because chances are you probably can. Maybe not with the, the skills that you have at the moment. Maybe not the way you're thinking right now, but it can be done. And when you start thinking about how can I do it, that will start to open up doors for you that you may never have realized were even there but could have been right in front of you the whole time. And the reason that that happens is when you start to change how you view the world and change how you view yourself in relation to that world, you go to a different level of awareness, a different level of consciousness, right? A a different, like a different plane of thinking. And imagine looking out of different windows in an airplane. You may be looking at one window and that's the only window that you've seen.
But if you go 10 seats forward, you may look out that window and you may say something completely different. And that could change the way that your life works. That could change your whole life in an instant because of something you see or something you realize. And when that starts to happen, it's going to be really scary because you're going to think, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm getting in way too far. Like I'm getting in way over my head. But once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. You see it. You're like, oh, whoa, wait a second. I'm seeing something I've never seen before. I'm seeing opportunities I've never noticed before. If that's, if there's this much difference in that little bit of a shift, imagine if there was a bigger shift, how much bigger of a difference there is. Mm-hmm. And so when you keep going down this rabbit hole, what it will eventually hopefully lead you to is the realization that you can literally do anything that you want. And I know that's super generic and that's super cliche, and I'm sure you've heard that a whole bunch of different times, right? But I'm telling you, when you start to explore the realm of possibilities, when you start to ask yourself why, why not, why can't I, how, how can I do this? You don't have to know how to get there now. You just have to decide where you want to go. Once you make that decision, that is that final switch to put you into that new state of consciousness, to that new level of awareness. And then you can begin to explore that level of awareness. It's not all going to happen at once. It's going to take time. But you will figure out how. And then it becomes a decision of whether or not you want to pay that price to get to where you want to go. But it is possible. It's not that it's not possible. It's whether or not you want to pay the price that it takes to get to where you want to go. But you can do it. Mic drop. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on our show. We really, really appreciate it. And I just, I know you're going great places. You already are. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Helen and Christina, so, so much for having me on the show and um, you know, being gracious enough to to invite me here and to create this space that was very safe, very welcoming, and an open space to where we could talk about this stuff. I'm very grateful and very appreciative of that. Thank you, and thank you everybody who's watching. And be sure you follow Ben. Um, his website is in the uh, description, so make sure you go over there and and follow him on Facebook too. All right, thanks everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you all next week. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Thank you. Thank-